But uh, I love words. Just like uh, last week I shared a word that a friend of mine taught me about five weeks ago. He was t- telling me of a word that and I think we take words for granted sometimes. You know, the Bible says in the beginning was the word. And so the word that I was sharing last week was in First uh, uh, Peter 4.11, which says, if any man speak, let him speak of as the oracles of God. And if any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God may be glorified in all things. Beautiful scripture. And there's a word in there that I kind of take for granted. You know what it means. And it, it was one of the ones that don't, doesn't stand out as much. But it says, if any man minister, and that word minister is, is the Greek word means servant, serve. If any man serve, let him do it as of the ability that God giveth. And that was the word, giveth. Because a lot of times it's translated in other translations uh, it uses the word and still giveth, it would say supplies. And that word was an interesting word because it was the Greek word, um, har, har, um, hyperbole, or you might say hyper, like you would say hyperbole, you would say hi, this was balo, hyperbalo, hyperbalo. Uh, and, but the word hyperbole comes from it. And of course, if you know what the word, uh, if you don't know what the word hyperbole is, you just need to watch the news and hear what the politicians are saying. Because they're almost incapable of saying anything that isn't hyperbole. The word hyperbole uh, means hyper. You get the word hyper. But it actually means to overthrow And we're not talking about overthrowing the government, although some of them are trying to do that recently. But we're we're talking about actually throwing a ball. And it's to overthrow the ball. It uh, uh, literally means a wild pitch. That that word hyper means wild. And bali means to throw. To hyper, to overthrow or throw a wild pitch. And it, we, we could say it's to exaggerate. When you exaggerate something. And once you start thinking about this, you realize how much exaggeration is used for uh, a lot of different... You know, one, I just think one the other day when, uh, you know, when somebody will tell me, hey, you want to go to such and such a place that I don't really want to go. You know what I mean? Um, I could use some examples, but I'd probably get in trouble if I did. But uh, if you don't want to go someplace, you say something like, I'd rather have a root canal. Okay? That's hyperbole. I literally, I wouldn't rather have a root canal. Almost, but not really. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's throwing a wild pitch. It's overthrowing it. It's exaggerating. Uh, I remember one time uh, an actress got in trouble for saying that uh, the news people that are running after her, what do you call those guys? Paparazzi. Paparazzi. The paparazzi chasing you is worse than being in the war in Iraq. And they got in big trouble for saying that. And I didn't understand that because that's what hyperbole is. It's exaggerating, you know. But uh, anyways, that's, that's an example. Uh, it says, I, I just used the wrong word at the wrong time, by the way. Great. How do I go from here? The word that giveth is giveth is not hyper. Hyperbole, hyperbole, it's balo, hyperbole. It's not that word. Boy, talk about messing up. Today, this is Christmas. Anyway, uh, it is the word there where it says, God giveth, God supplies. See, I was going to talk about two words today, and I, I, I reversed them. God supplies is the word, uh, 
Coro or Cori Geo. Cori Geo. C H O R E G O. It's the Greek word Cori Geo. And it says, if any man minister, let him do it as of the ability that God Cori Geo giveth. Some, some translation says supplies. Cori Geo. And the word Cori Geo means to be a choir leader, which is, uh, one, one translation in the Strong says, one uh, says, to be a choir, to put a choir together at one's own expense. So you're not only a choir leader, but you're doing it at your own expense. And this is the ability that God, Corrigio, we get our word choreograph from Corrigio. And so God choreographs our, our lives. If any man minister, serve, let him do it as of the ability that God choreographs. And in, uh, in, one, in one lexicon, it says, calls him the Lord of the dance. And so he's leading us in our dance. Um, I have been listening to a song that we've all heard and, and sung and play and like. I think we all like it. It's by Mercy Me. And it was uh, the song, uh, I Can Only Imagine. How many of you are familiar with this song? A pretty good large amount, if not everybody. And, uh, you know, I I was talking to a young man two days ago, and uh, two nights ago, and uh, I was telling him, uh, we've been meeting together every week, and boy, I'll tell you, I've been impressed at how this young man knows the Word of God. Really impressed. And uh, he can practically finish every verse of scripture I start. I'm, I'm shocked at how, how, how well he knows the, the, the Bible, the Word of God. And so I was telling him that about this song that I like by uh, Mercy Me, I Can Only Imagine. And listening to this song, it was I Can Only Imagine. Now when I see that word imagine, I, I, that gets my attention because... In the, there's a Greek word for meditate. It's in First Timothy uh, uh, four, which says uh, he tells Timothy to stir up the gift of God that is in him. And he goes on and says a few other things. He says meditate on these things. And that word meditate, Greek word meliteo, one of the uh, synonyms for it is to imagine. Now, we're, we're warned about imaginations. And uh, uh, the Bible says if uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons of our warfare. How many of you know we're in a war? Can you say amen? Can I get a witness? <laughs> it says uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down strongholds and casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, bringing into thought every captivity. So bringing, bringing every thought into the uh, captivity of the Lord. Now that's, Vain imaginations, that's talking about. Paul warns about vain imaginations. Vain is an interesting word. Vain comes from the word vanity, and vanity means it to be empty. And uh, that's another amazing word, empty, because we are supposed to be full. But you see, vain is to be empty of God and to be full of oneself. Humility is to be empty of oneself and full of God. It's like John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must increase while I must decrease. Both referring to his, the ministry, uh, the time of the law and the grace, and personally, he must increase while I must decrease. And so, Vain imaginations is what we're warned against. But the song that says, I can only imagine, 
is not vain imaginations. Vain. It is uh, humble imaginations. And when he says, I can only imagine. And of course he says, goes on to say, when I go to be with the Lord, and I, will, I, uh, will I dance before him? Or will I just stand there in awe? You know, if I, will I stand before him or, or uh, fall on my knees? Will I uh, sing hallelujah? Or will I uh, just be stuck with my, you know, couldn't say it, can't say a word. I can only imagine. And all of those are scriptural uh, prowesses to, 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 to uh, be before the Lord. Uh, so I'm sharing this with this young man. And I said, I love this song. And he says he loved this song too. Do you love this song? Uh, I was talking to this young man that I was talking to two nights ago. And I was telling him about the song. And I said, I love this song. Uh, I do have some issues with it though. And uh, I, I actually don't have any issue with what it says. Not at all. I, I, it's a beautiful song. And uh, I'll always love this song. But I do have some issues with what it doesn't say. Okay? And what does it say? And I thought, uh, there's no way in the world he was going to get this. All right? And he just pounds it right back at me. I'm like, what my issues are. Now, I don't know, what do you think my issues are? I'm not asking you to pound it back at me, if you want. But he just instantly said it. He says, because we can do it now. And I said, yeah, that's right. What do you mean, Pastor, we can do it now? We don't have to imagine these things in the future. We can do it now. We can imagine. That's what this word meditate means, to imagine. We can imagine being in the presence of God now. And what it's like. We, we are seated with him in heavenly places, are we not? That's what it says in Ephesians, the second chapter. It says, we come before his presence with thanksgiving in our hearts. We can come before his presence with worship and thanksgiving now. We don't have to wait till then. We can do it now. Now is the time. That's what it says in, in the Bible. Now is the time. And so I was surprised that he got that. And uh, so anyway, this choreograph, going back to this word choreograph, it's a beautiful word. And it means to, that God is, choreographs our, choreographs our life. You know, there were atheists that believed that uh, God Almighty, who created the universe, just by speaking a word out with such power and with such wisdom. How many of you know it says in the Bible that he framed the, all the worlds by the word of his wisdom? It says that in Hebrews 11, I believe it does. Yeah, you know, it says uh, the, the world's by frame by the words of his mouth, by the words of his wisdom. And so he spoke them, let there be. And uh, then they think, I've heard people say, there's no way that God could think about every person all over the world at the same time. And there's no way that God, especially when you look at uh, uh, Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, it says, I, the thoughts that you have toward me are more in number than the sands of the beaches. Of all the sands that are in the world, grains of sand that are in the world, God has more thoughts toward you. And we know in Jeremiah 29, 11, the thoughts that he has toward are good thoughts. He loves thoughts of joy, thoughts of peace that he has toward us. And uh, that, that would be impossible. I'll tell you what, people that used to think that's impossible at that time would think it would be impossible what Google can do today. 
Google can do what people used to think that it was impossible of God to do. And God's bigger than Google. And I love to use my Google. I Google and, you know, all the other things a lot. And it's almost like they can answer it before you get the question out sometime. It's like, what? And, uh, but God is so way beyond Google. You know, the thoughts that he thinks towards us are more than the sands of the uh, good thoughts. He has thoughts of an expected end. You know what expected end means? I had a friend the other day, I was uh, talking about Christmas time, and there's a verse of scripture that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and that's in Philippians 2. I've always thought about how this uh, verse, verses of scripture in Philippians 2 was addressed more in regards to how we should behave than what it was saying about the Lord. Because it was saying, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And then went on to say some things about the Lord, but the admonishment was for us to follow him. And what it says there is, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, uh, though he was in the form of God, and some of the translations actually say, though he was God, because he was God. He was God, fully God, and God, fully man. And you know, when I say fully man, I mean fully, fully human. You know, he was a man, but you know, he came from woman. He came from a combination of woman and God, you know, but he was fully man. Got that? Okay. God, fully God, God, fully man. Emmanuel, God dwells with us. And so it says, though he was in the form of God, did not think that it was a thing to be grasped, to be equal with God. But he emptied himself. King James says, make it, made himself of no reputation. Literal translation, he emptied himself. So he was God, fully God, and he became a man, and he emptied himself. First of all, he didn't grasp to be equal with God from the very beginning, and equal with God the Father, and he emptied himself. And then it goes on to say, and he uh, became a man. He became a human being. And uh, he humbled himself, even unto the cross, the death of the cross. Even unto death, the death of the cross. And so I always focused on what this is admonishing us to be like. Let this mind be in you. But there was one thing that struck me about five weeks ago, more than any other time in my life, And that was the part where he says he humbled himself. And I thought, wait a minute. God Almighty spoke the worlds in existence, spoke the universe in existence. God of this power and magnitude and on and on and on we could say. Humbled himself. What? And he became a man. And he suddenly realized that that was as great a uh, a move by God, a greatest task, as, as great a uh, historical event as the crucifixion itself. And I do not lessen the crucifixion by saying that. The crucifixion was amazing. The preaching of the cross to them that perish foolishness stood up, but us to us that is saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. But I saw that it was as great for God to humble himself and become a man. For what purpose? To save us. Wow. That's amazing. But it goes on to say, he humbled himself even to the death of the cross, that at the name of Jesus, uh, uh, every, well, it goes on to say, and God, wherefore God has highly exalted him. This is talking about the resurrection. Gave him, a, gave him to be a name that is above every name. How many of you know that Jesus was with God from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was uh, with God, and the Word was God. All right? This is Jesus. The Word was God, was with God, and was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. All things were made by Jesus Christ. And there wasn't anything made that was made. Uh, So anyway... So Jesus is the one that created this universe, and he was with God. 
How many of you know he was God at that time? He was Lord. When, when, when the disciples that were sent forth to, to preach and to do signs and wonders and mighty deeds, when he was, they were sent forth, uh, and then they came back to Jesus, says, even the demons uh, obeyed us. And Jesus says, well, I don't know what you're so surprised about. I was there when we kicked him out of heaven. Lucifer, I was there. And so I was, you know, what are you so surprised at? I was there when we kicked him out of heaven. Jesus was there when Lucifer was banned from heaven. So he was there. So the, you ever ask you these kind of questions? It says, it says uh, uh, wherefore God has highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. Didn't he have a name that was above every name? When he was in heaven? Oh, did he? Is that a, somebody had the guts to say yes? Yes, yes. That's absolutely correct. So how is it that God could give him a name that is above every name? You're on the right track. Huh? Because he was a man? That may be it. That might be the answer. Here's what I think. There was something that he was not. You, you say be, be a man. He's, now he's a man and God. You might be right. All right? Here's what I think. I think it's because there was something that he was not. What was he not before he came to earth and was raised from the dead. What was it? Savior? Huh? A sinner? Well, that's a good point, because he was made a sinner. He was made sin. I think you're all on the right track, at least on my track. I think what he was not was the head of the church, because the church didn't exist. Do you see what I'm saying? You know? And he says, he set him at his own hat, right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and, power and might and dominion. Not only in this world, but also in which that is coming. It says that in Ephesians 1, which is the church, which is the head of his, he's the head of his body, which is the church. So what he didn't have was a different body. See, what's his body now? The church. And so what is he now? The Lord, somebody said, Lord, of the church. He's the head of the church because it didn't exist before, because he had a different body before. That's what I think. Okay, so he says, wherefore God has highly exalted him, gave him a name that is above every, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Every knee shall bow, things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so it all starts, the beginning of this journey, well, it goes back before the foundation of the world was even made, but the beginning of this journey in Philippians 2 was God humbled himself and became a man. Can you see how that would be humbling oneself? You know, I, I shared a story about Vincent Van Gogh and how he was uh, in, uh, considered a missionary at one time. And he had a church and he was the pastor of the church. And it was in a coal mining town in Belgium. And he went down in the mines so he could identify with them. And then he came up uh, out of the mines and he was pitch black with coal. And he had just uh, suffered. And then the church that was there wasn't growing in the Lord until they saw him and he identified with them. And the leaders of the church came to him and they were aghast at what he had done, which I thought what he had done was pretty amazing. But here's the thing. See, what did he do? He humbled himself and he became a coal miner. See, and that was very, that's compared to the step that God made that's almost insignificant. That's a, such a small step for you to be properly dressed and you have a nice 
room and good food and everything and for you to humble yourself and go down into a coal mine. And then he took the money that he was given to pay for rent and food and instead he gave it to the poor and he went and got a shanty shack and he started gleaning his the coal pits from the coal dust to heat his house and he, and he got very sick. And that's, that's humbling yourself and they thought that was humiliating, which <laughs> they ought to look up the word humble. It's humility. And so anyway, that is such a small step compared to what God did. See, the step that, that Vincent van Gogh had taken to go down into those coal mines, from our perspective, that'd be a pretty big step. Come on, tell me, would that, would that be something you could do? It's, I don't know if I could do that or not. But he did it, and it's pretty big. But from compared to what God did when he became a man, Emmanuel, today Emmanuel. Before I forget the other words, so you will know that I did have something in mind, I will say this. In Ephesians 1, it says... Uh, uh, that God prayed, Paul prayed, that we would be given the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. The eyes of our understanding may be enlightened, that we may know the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And I was looking at that word exceeding, and it is that Greek word hyperbole or hyperbolo. Uh, we get our, our word hyperbole from it. And it means in that when we use it, it's a wild pitch. But when God uses it about himself, it is not a wild pitch. How many of you know God doesn't exaggerate? You know, when he spoke, <laughs> how can God exaggerate? Can he exaggerate? I don't think so. How can he exaggerate? Because he's all powerful, all great. You can't get any better than that. You can't get. You, what are you going to say about yourself that's so that better than what you are? That's kind of impossible. He can't exaggerate, all right. And yet he uses that word in in uh, exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then he goes on down to say, and you. And so God is using these words to try to communicate that what he did was pretty amazing. (laughs) Pretty amazing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I've been thinking about this whole thing about how God humbled himself and became a human being. And he just didn't come down and humble himself by becoming a human being. He became a baby. The most defenseless and the most dependent, you know, babies are the ones that need the most taking care of. whether, Whether it is a puppy or a kitten or anything else, but human babies... Our entire, you know, after we had children and I found out what great sacrifice it was to just to keep them alive, you know, I, I begin to appreciate, you know, when you grow up, I don't know about you, but sometimes you start, tend, you tend to think about how rough you had it as a child. I remember Bill Cosby talking about how he, he when they didn't have enough food and and uh, their father always said, well, when I was growing up, all we were given to eat was dirt. And we were glad to get it. <laughs> and Bill Cosby used to say, you know, I didn't mind him saying so much that, you know, that he ate dirt. It was the glad to get it part that really irritated me the most. <laughs> glad to get it. You know, you, you tend to think that, you know, what your parents did. And, and after I was a, a parent for a while, I thought, it takes a lot of work just to keep these kids alive. Just to keep them from 
dying. It takes a lot of work. And so I, I, I suddenly had a renewed gratitude towards my parents because I figured, you know, they did a lot more than I thought they did. <laughs> Amen? But he was a baby. Hallelujah, he became a baby. And look at how much Satan tried to stop that. I was all, I was all, I've also, when I was watching, listening to uh, Ravi Zacharias, and I shared this with you. And he was talking about the DNA molecule. And he was saying that on every DNA molecule, that yes, there are some traits that are consistent, like we can, you can, you know, get your DNA and find out where you come from. You know, so there's some traits that are consistent. And if you're twins, then there's a lot more, you know, points of, of knowledge that's in your DNA that are consistent between each other. Or if you're brother and sister, or if you're father and mother, you know, in family, there are some things that they can say, this is got so many points of connections, you know. But there are points of connection to no bun. Just you, they're individual that makes you up what an individual is to be. And Rabbi Zacharias said that if they took, if you took all the points of a DNA, DNA molecule and you wrote down every trait that is unique for you and uh, on that DNA molecule, it would take you a thousand years if you wrote down one per second. And of course, I remember that if you're, if you're a billion seconds old, a billion seconds old, you'd be 32 years old. Just imagine how old you would be if you were a thousand years old. How many thoughts? It's kind of like when you, you know that song where they said if, if the whole sky was a, scroll, uh, was a scroll and all the oceans were ink and every human being that ever has lived or will live was a scribe and every bird quill was a, a quill to write with we would drain the oceans dry riding across the scrolls of the sky before we exhausted all the beautiful things about the love of God it's just that's, that's how much there is about God. Well, just think about your individual DNA a thousand years old before you could write all the information that's on one, that one little tiny molecule. That's pretty amazing. And, you know, uh, if there's somebody in here, and I don't mean to make f- foolishness of what you believe, but if you do believe in evolution... I just saw a title the other day on some of the things that they try to get me to read. This guy, he says, I don't have enough faith. The title of his message, Christian message, I don't have enough faith to be, believe in evolution. <laughs> you got to have more faith to believe in evolution. Or to, to say it in other words, you've got to be even more gullible to believe in evolution than to believe in God. I mean, it's just, you know, and Rabbi Zacharias says this. This is what you have to believe. That uh, time plus matter plus chance equals mind. That means you've got enough time and you've got the matter and you've got the chance. I remember, I mean, I don't know if anybody ever, anybody ever see the movie Being There? Anybody? It's a Peter Sellers movie. Shirley MacLaine was in that, yes. So we got one person. Huh? It's, it's really interesting. I, I, I was wondering where they were going or what they were trying to communicate in this movie. But in this movie, Peter Sellers is a very mentally challenged man. And he is a gardener. And he knows a lot about gardening, but that's it. He knows nothing else, and uh, he is uh, a very good gardener, but that's all he can do. And 
That's not to say a good gardener doesn't need to know a lot. But uh, he was just didn't, didn't know anything about anything else. And somehow somebody comes in, uh, in contact with him and they say something to him uh, about, you know, asking for some advice. And the only thing he knows is gardening. So he just come right out to whatever is in his mind, which had absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with what the guy was talking about. But the guy took it as like, wow, that's impressive. That is so, you know. In other words, he thought he meant something. He didn't mean anything by it. He just blurted out what was in his mind, you know. Like, uh, you know, what do you think? One time it was the president of the United States. He'd heard about this guy that had such incredible wisdom. He wanted to talk to him. And so he said, uh, it was the president of the United States. And the president of the United States says to him, uh, and by the way, the guy's name, Peter Sellers' name in the movie, you know what, you remember that? Chauncey. You know what Chauncey means? Chance. Chauncey. Chance. And so the President of the United States says, I've got a new bill coming up and I'm not quite sure whether to sign this or not. What do you think, Chauncey? Of course, Chauncey doesn't even have a clue what he's talking about. So he says, it's, You can't plant, gard- plant gardenias this time of the year. And the president goes, wow, yes, that answers it all. <laughs> you know, it's like, and the, the entire movie, this, this kind's going on. People are coming to him for advice and everything else, and they're, they're getting this crazy stuff. <laughs> and yet it's just, and they're being perplexed by this great depth of wisdom. Right? Now, finally, come, they never find out that this guy doesn't know anything except gardening. And finally, it shows him at the end of the movies, and it's in front of this very large lake, you know. I think it's at the Washington Monument or something like that. And he's going around, and he's clipping flowers and everything else. And then he walks over to where the, the lake is, and he just walks across on the water all the way across the lake. And uh, my, that's one of my sister's favorite movies, and uh, we both had a total inter- different interpretation of what that last thing meant where he walks across on top of the water. <laughs> he walks on water. And we had the opposite, the opposite thing. And of course, well, I guess it wasn't really the opposite. What she thought it meant was, is everybody thought he was like, God and Jesus, and that that was just an example of his, his whole life. He was like walking on water to them. And, but, and I'm like, no. What do you think it meant? What do, you, I didn't, what do you think it meant? Don't tell me. I thought it meant like he really was God. <laughs> do you get it? I thought, oh, he really was God. <laughs> and all these things that everybody thought was just out there in Never Never Land, or that, that I thought was in Never Never Land, he really was full of wisdom and everything. You know. But I think that's what some people think about God is he's mentally challenged or something. And, you know. But do you know what God does to put things together? God does what they say. You, you look in first, uh, if you look in Matthew, the first chapter, and Luke, the third chapter, they have the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And you see that it had to be put down so far. How many of you know that he is the Lion of Judah? Nobody know that? Lion of Judah on the throne, we shout your name, let it be known that you are King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords, and your kingdom's reign will never cease. Hail to the king, the lion. He is of the L-I-N-E, line of Judah, genealogy of Judah, and the L-I-O-N, lion of Judah. All right? Do you know how he's in the lion of, lion of Judah? In the, 
in the lineage of Judah? And it's in there. How many of you know? Okay. You get, they have the begats. So-and-so begats, so-and-so, so-and-so begats, so-and-so. All right. You go back to Judah. It goes back to Judah. And it says, and Judah begat Perez. And Perez begat, and it goes on. How many of you know who Perez was? If you didn't know this, you're going to love this. All right? I think. Maybe not. All right? Here it is. All right? Judah had sons. I don't even know the sons that that I'm going to mention. Several of them. All right? Judah had several sons. And one of his sons had a wife by the name of Tamar. And Tamar's husband died before she could have children. And so it was a tradition that one of the older or one of the brothers would take her as a wife so that she could have children and take care of her as his wife. And she went from brother to brother and none of them would, would do it. They wouldn't take her. So what does she do? She finds out where Judah's going and she lays in wait for him and she dresses herself up as a prostitute and entices him into her bedroom chamber as a prostitute. And so he doesn't have any money to give her, so he gives her his ring. Seal. Doesn't say seal? Okay, the sermon I heard said ring. The seal. It wasn't an otter, it was a seal? Okay. She says it was a seal and not necessarily a ring. The sermon I heard, it was a ring. So if it's wrong, I got it from somebody else. Okay, all right. Because it, it, it kind of ruins the story when it says seal. I'll, I'll show you in a minute. I'll show you the minute in a minute how it ruins the story. I guess it could work with seal, all right. But uh, the way I understood it is he wasn't giving something that he thought could be identified with him because he was payment for a prostitute. So anyway, she comes up pregnant with his child, all right. Now they're getting ready to stone her. Right? Right? And she says, oh, I just want you to know that the fellow that did this to me is the guy that had this ring. And Judah says, oh, no, we're not going to stone her. We're not going to stone her. <laughs> so maybe it was a seal. She had this seal. But it was a, a, a way I understood a ring. But seal would work better, maybe. More accurate. So anyway, she has What? Perez, or Perez, however you want to pronounce it. Perez in the Old Testament, P-H in the New Testament, P-E-R-E-Z. Lineage of Jesus Christ. All right? Go over to Boaz. You know, Boaz is part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, which means Ruth is part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Amen for Ruth and Boaz, right? Except, you know who's in Boaz's lineage that goes back? Rahab the harlot. Rahab, the one that held out the red uh, uh, curtain out the uh, scarlet curtain out the window and was, was passed over uh, when Jericho fell down and, uh, at Jericho. Part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And all of this, another word that I have love and appreciate is the word hand. Okay. Hand. In the, uh, the Latin, uh, uh, the English word hand comes from a Latin word, which is manus. And uh, manus, which is interesting, because we actually derive the word man from the word hand. And, but, uh, all the words that we have in our English language that have the word man in them, like 
uh, manuscript written by hand, right? Manufacture, originally manufacture means made by hand, you know? And uh, manipulate, anybody in here know how to manipulate with your fingers? Like massage, massage therapist? Manipulate. But God has manipulated everything in your life. That doesn't mean you don't have a free will. But I'm telling you what, God goes extremes to go to to bring about His will is just absolutely amazing. I went to a Christmas program at... uh, Calvary Chapel, when I worked at Teen Challenge in Southern California, Jackie and I went to a Calvary Chapel meeting where Chuck Smith preached. So if if I'm saying anything wrong, Chuck Smith said it. (laughs) And so Chuck Smith says, it was a, a Christmas thing, and he said, when Jesus was born, it fulfilled, and I think it was something anywhere between 133, 144 Prophecies was fulfilled at his birth. 144. And so he took each one of these down, and I've since tried to find this sermon online, and I just would give up before I stopped stop looking. I, I, I just haven't been able to successfully do this. If anybody knows how to really manipulate a computer or an apple, and find out this sermon and get this sermon for it, I would really greatly appreciate it. But he went right down the line. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. How many of you know it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem? So what, he, what they did was, what uh, Chuck Smith did, is he put in a computer uh, the various prophecies that was fulfilled at Jesus' birth. And the question would be in the computer, what would the odds be? What are the odds that a prophecy would be given and this person fulfill the prophecy, but not be the person that the prophecy was talking about? You understand what the question is? First question, first, first prophecy, born in Bethlehem. What would be the odds of a man being born in Bethlehem and that man being recognized as the Messiah and be the most influential person that has ever lived on the, on the planet of Earth? Do you understand? Jesus is, without question, the greatest man and the greatest influential man that has ever lived. What would be the odds of this being by chance that they weren't really the person? You understand? Messiah born Bethlehem. This person born in Bethlehem recognizes Messiah, changes the whole world, but he wasn't really the Messiah. What are the odds of that happening? And so they gave a, a, an idea, and it's one out of so many thousand. Okay? Second prophecy, and he goes right down the line. And he, he got to number 12. Number 12. What would be the odds? And they give illustrations of how many out of how many. And so it says, if you had, this was the, the, the 12th one. If you had 12 prophecies fulfilled, and you're not being who he said he was. You know, if you ever, if you, if you ever liked the group U2, you and then a two, you two, uh, which I did. I liked him a great deal. Bono. You know who Bono is of you two? Okay. Uh, a band. Had a bunch of beautiful songs. And Bono has, as far as celebrities go, has raised more funds for charities and people than any other singular human being on the earth. Bono is a Christian. All of the band except for one member were Christians. 
They used to give invitations at their concerts. If you test Google Bono in his testimony, they ask him, do you believe in Jesus Christ? He says, absolutely. And that they pray and they pray uh, by the, at their bedside every night. And so he says, they ask Bono, he says, uh, well, why do you believe in Jesus? And he says, well, it's, it's for, to me, it's very simple. Either Jesus was who he said he was, or he is a nutcase. He is completely nutty. It's his words. At least I think that's what he said, nutty. He's either who he was, or he was really a liar. He was a liar. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, by me. He was a liar if he wasn't who, who he was. So he goes down the line. Chuck Smith goes down the line, one after the other. And he gets to the 12th one and he says, 12 prophecies. We're talking about at his birth. There is thousands of prophecies that were fulfilled in the scriptures about Jesus Christ. Thousands. But this is just 133. Let's pick that number. 12. And the computer spits out a number. And the zeros just go. One out of one. Zeros out of sight. He said the best illustration is if you took a ball. If the universe was a solid ball. Made up of the smallest things known to man at that time. Electrons. They've since they've found smaller things. But an electron. And the ball was solid electrons. And you took one of those electrons, you painted it, threw it out in the universe, let it swim around a few million years. Then you jumped in and swimmed around a few million years, reach out and grab an electron, and you just happen to grab that electron. That's the odds of the first 12 prophecies being fulfilled. You either believe he was who he said he was. Now, man could never have manipulated that. But God did. God did. I mean, think of the, think of the, you know, when the first prophecy, as I make reference to quite a bit, was to the, after the fall, was by God to Satan. And he says to Satan, a seed's going to come from a woman and crush your head. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I was just kind of a newborn Christian, and I read that, and I thought, that's Jesus. Jesus is the one that crushed his head. Amen? Amen. So there's so many prophecies that are just so amazing that they would be fulfilled. Time is going Do you understand what God did? When God made all these things happen, and they had to happen a certain way, the, not only in the smallest detail, but in the greatest, biggest picture. Do you know when you were born? If there was, and I don't mean to be crude, but Daddy planted some sperm in your mommy and your mommy uh, egg was fertilized by one of millions of these sperms that were swimming around. And at that moment, you were born. If it had been a different one, you wouldn't be here. Just that one, God planned purpose, had a purpose for your life. You were born, you were predestined to have that one sperm fertilize the egg and who you are. Any other ones, it wouldn't be you here. I would, we are all so intricately entwined in purpose and plan. Can you only imagine 
this entire world. You know the whole thing about traveling in time and the butterfly effect? Person goes back and supposedly back in the time of cavemen time and drag, you know, uh, dinosaurs and all this. And they're supposed to stay on the track and instead they see something and they go and they, they, they realize they step off the track and there's a dead butterfly on their, their foot. You guys know this? They call the butterfly effect? And then, then they get back on track and they come back to the present and everything's changed. Everything has changed. Why? Because a mouse was going to eat that butterfly. It shows, it shows that the mouse was predestined to eat the butterfly. But it didn't eat the butterfly. So the mouse died. And the effect of that went through all time. And the next thing you know, everything is completely changed. Do you realize if you were not born, everything would be completely changed in this world? Hello? God is working these things out. He's manipulating. You know, I was talking to Chad Baldanza a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, and he was t- saying a scripture that we all know in, interpret one way, but it can be interpreted another. And that is this. It says this. This is in Philippians 4.4. 4. It starts in 4.4. 4. Rejoice evermore. Again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation, that's King James, Everyone else says gentleness or kindness. Gentleness. Be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And then it says, be careful for nothing. But instead, by prayer and supplication, let your request be known unto God with thanksgiving. And goes in the peace of God, which shall passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Now let's go back to that that one little thing that we would interpret, and I, here's how I would have interpreted it: uh, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And now, what does that sound like? You know, His imminent return, right? Does that sound like it to you? The Lord's coming back pretty quick. That's what it said. He says, the Lord has his thing and it has it in his hand. Don't worry about anything. It's in the Lord's hand. That's what that that's what Chad told me. And then Chad, he probably knows a lot of the scriptures that I don't know. Um, a lot more in, in some areas. All right. The Lord is at hand. The Lord's hand is upon your life. That's another thing it says in Psalm 139. The Lord's hand is upon your life. Every little detail of your life. Now the Lord isn't the author author of any sin in your life. But I'll tell you what. He worked it. He's the great manipulator. He worked it. He worked it. When he says all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, he's working it. He's manipulating everything to work together all the time. I did a lot of things I'm not proud of, and I don't blame God for any of them. Believe me. But I also see that if you just changed one little thing, I wouldn't be here today. And I, don't get me wrong when I say this. If I wouldn't be here, neither would you. Now, I'm not saying you wouldn't be a believer or you wouldn't be serving the Lord or you wouldn't be. It's just that I wouldn't be in this. And some of you wouldn't be in existence today. Are you talk, I'm talking about some of you in this room. You wouldn't exist today. If I hadn't have been such a rascal. Do you, you, you follow where I'm going, coming from here? God, is not, God did not make me a rascal. But he used it. Hello? He used it. And because of that, I'm here today. And if I didn't, if I wasn't here today... Because I didn't do those things, 
then I wouldn't have been at Team Challenge and I wouldn't have met Jackie and some of you wouldn't be here right now. Or if you just take off one little step, just kill one little butterfly on the way, everything changes. God has got it all in his hand. And what he does to save us to, to over our lives, you cannot stop blessing. You know, I, uh, I'll end with this. I had so much more to say, but I'm not going to say it. You say, thank you, Lord. I'm listening over from this section. Didn't hear it. Okay, I got you. She's, she's biting her tongue over there. I have this a little thing, this little fun thing that I have with somebody. So, what was I going to say before you distracted me? <laughs> Hallelujah. It was so good, too. At least I thought it was. It must not have been as good as I thought it was. Glory to God. Oh, I was, uh, had a mishap the other morning, a, a, a physical mishap. I'm not going to go any deal. It was, it was, I had uh, not been sleeping well, and uh, I'd gone to sleep. I'm a night person. I went to sleep late in the morning and woken up early and, uh, with, with a, a physical problem. And when I got up, I looked at the clock, and it was 9 o'clock in the morning. And I'd only been asleep at 5. So it's only getting four hours of sleep. And I hadn't been sleeping well, as it is. And I looked up at nine o'clock and, and I thought to myself, do you know what happened at nine o'clock in the morning? How many, anybody in here, do we have any charismatics in here? Charismatics. Do you remember Dennis and Rita Bennett? He was an Episcopalian, Episcopal priest. And he wrote a book. He wrote a book called Nine O'Clock in the Morning. You didn't read it? It's a good book. Jesus was crucified at nine o'clock in the morning. Holy Spirit came at nine o'clock in the morning. And I was sick the other day at nine o'clock in the morning. So, okay, nine o'clock in the morning. Important time. And then last night I went to bed. Well, because I overcome the sickness, I went to bed. This is Saturday morning, nine o'clock in the morning. I went to bed at one o'clock in the afternoon, and I didn't get up till four in the morning. Fifteen hours sleep. It's like, wow. I don't think I got fifteen hours sleep in the week before. You know? It was awesome. And I looked up there. And I saw four o'clock. And I know nobody in, in this room is going to be able to answer this question with the exception of Joe Anderson. And that was a song. It's four in the morning and once more the dawning just woke up the warning in me. Fair and young. Why is that important to me? Well, it's because 1971 I got re- Reinitiated, reintroduced to a relationship with my Lord and Savior. In 1971, um, I got to say, powerful way, but I backslid about a year, in about a year later. And I ended up in Jacksonville, Florida, a place I wouldn't mind being right now. You know, you ever go to Jacksonville, Florida? I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. Pouring septic tanks. Fitting job for a backslidden person, you know? Pouring septic tanks. We used to go to this bar called Jeans in Jacksonville, Florida. And they would play this song. It's four in the morning and once more the dawning just woke up the warning in me. Over and over and over again. And that's the only reason I know who sang that song and the song itself, never heard it before. I don't think I've ever heard it since. I know Joe Anderson has, though. They accept there was one other song they would play in between. 
And they would play it over and over and over and over and over again. And you know what that song was? Why me, Lord? What have I ever done that was worth even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you for the kindness you've shown? Lord, help me, Jesus. I've wasted it so. Help me, Jesus. I know what I am. Lord, help me, Jesus. Lord, and he goes on to say, my soul is in your hand. They played that in a bar over and over and over again. I probably wasn't the only person in that bar that identified with it. But how about being backslidden and help me see it in his own? Why me, Lord? What have I ever done that was worth even one? Over and over again. So when I woke up at four in the morning, first thing hit me and saw the clock says it's four in the morning. The next thing was, why me, Lord? (laughs) What is I? You know, and you laugh, but I'll tell you, and it's funny. But God used that song in my life to woo me back to him. You can't hear that song over and over and over again without being pulled back. It was written by a Christian, by the way. Not Chris Christopherson. He he co-wrote it, but the guy that was a Christian, Chris Christopherson was not a Christian. Chris Christopherson sang it. And... um, I know he wasn't a Christian because when they found out it was number one on the country and western charts, the guy called him up that wrote it, the Christian that helped him co-wrote the song. He says, you know, our song is number one on the charts. And Chris Christopherson's response was, well, I'll be finished the sentence. So he was not a Christian. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah. Ben, are you going to do communion again? Ben, I don't know if we should have you come do come up here and give do communion, but I don't know anybody that's outside an hour ago, two hours ago, in a flimsy shirt with a light, very light jacket on and nothing on his hands, and he's throwing salt around like he's feeding chickens, you know. I don't know if you really want anybody. Is he smart enough to even be one somebody that we can listen to? I was like, you got to be kidding me. I got a grandson that came, came up in a t-shirt. Came out. He comes up outside in the parking lot in a t-shirt. And when he's in my house... He's got blankets all over him. It's 72 in our house, and he's got blankets all over him. But he's outside in a t-shirt. Hallelujah. Merry Christmas, everyone. God with us. Remember that this year. God humbled himself. Amen.